Welcome to the Art of Grateful Leadership podcast. I'm Judy Umless, creator of the Center for Grateful Leadership and author of three books, including Grateful Leadership, Using the Power of Acknowledgement to Engage All Your People and Achieve Superior Results. I'm also Senior Vice President at the International Institute for Learning. Now, today's guest came to me uh, in a wonderful and unusual way. I mean, it's not that unusual, but I got an email one day from uh, Dr. Stephen Weber, Associate Superintendent for Teaching and Learning at the Fayetteville, Arkansas Public School. And uh, out of the blue, he just said to me, uh, do you still have that poster of the five C's? I read an article you wrote in 2014. It was the ATD series of uh, articles you wrote on the five C's. Do you still have it? And I could hear the urgency in his voice. And I said, of course, I still have it. And I'll send it to you. And that got us into a great conversation. And uh, Dr. Steven Weber, I am so delighted to have you here today. And I, I know you have all these uh, great accomplishments in your career, but I want you to just tell us what you do and uh, how you got to it in uh, you know a brief amount of time, and then let's get our conversation going. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. I started my I started my career working at summer sports camps, working with baseball and basketball, and that was all across the United States, from California to Florida. And so I started that at about age 17 and between age 17 and 21, that, that was my summer job. Then I started umpiring baseball in the summertime ah. and worked, worked my way up from T-ball to, to college baseball. And so being around athletics and, and youth, uh, I found a love for working and teaching youth at sports camps. And that, that led to becoming an elementary education major, which, which mm -hmm. eventually led to a full career now 25 years in education and currently I'm with Fayetteville Public Schools in Arkansas located near the University of Arkansas and this has just been a career of serving students and serving families. That's beautiful and when you were uh, in your jobs as a 17 year old a 21 year old what were you, were you like a uh, a coach or a captain or what, what were you? My very first job was in San Bernardino, California, working at Little League Baseball Camp at the Western Regional Headquarters. And I spent a month there at age 17 and 18. And I paid my own way to the first year to ride by bus to San Bernardino. And the second year, I decided to take a flight. And yeah. I worked out there with, with kids 12 and under. And it was in a dormitory style. And then eventually, I worked with Doyle Baseball School. And I, I started working with just as a coach, as you said, as one of the coaches. And eventually I became a camp director for different basketball and baseball camps where I was leading or running the camp for sometimes a week long. And then you'd go to another community and, and run a new camp. But I, I saw leadership early in my career and I also saw working with children as a passion of mine, being able to see kids grow through sports. And that eventually led to my first job was a fifth and sixth grade social studies teacher in West Memphis, Arkansas. That's so interesting. And I have to say that uh, my year as a high school teacher led me to what I do today because I knew so definitively that it wasn't for me. 
<laughs> after that year, I just, you know, I was supposed to get a job as a, uh, an English teacher, and they didn't have any that year. And I was at an inner city school in Yonkers, New York, and I became the uh, reading teacher for 16 and 17 year olds who just had never learned to read. And it, it was heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking, but they were so angry. And, uh, you know, it was it was really a challenge to both make a difference and deal with the behavior. So the, the biggest accomplishment I had was um, I approached CBS television, which was making scripts for their soap operas available to high schools. I had a CBS uh, reading program and I got those scripts and they loved them. They oh, my gosh, they somehow. They, they had seen the soap operas so many times that they, they were able to read when they got those scripts. So um, anyway, I have a great admiration for people who make this their life work because I knew after that year that I needed to do something else. And that's when I went to work at CBS for uh, quite a while. And then I ended up at IIL where I've been for uh, this is my 29th year at IIL. So this is uh, this, this is where I grew up. But uh, you have had a real focus in leadership, it seems, uh, in in what you've done with this job and uh, and everything else that you've been doing. What what draws you to leadership? I mean, you are a leader. You're associate superintendent for teaching and learning, but you also have a real passion for it. Yes, I am passionate about leadership, and I think in my 20s and 30s, I was passionate about climbing the ladder like a lot of people are in a corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. So I was on a fast track to become a school administrator or a building principal, and that didn't work out for me. I didn't get the building principal as, as fast as I thought I would. And I became a uh, I worked for the Arkansas Department of Education and it was really there under the leadership of some some mentors who were my co-workers where I learned that leadership is about adding value to others, multiplying other leaders and about helping people reach their goals. So I think as a classroom teacher, I understood clearly to help kids succeed. I need to prepare each learner for the next level and build on their strengths. But then because I shifted early in my career from teacher to leader as as a uh, administrator rather when I sh made that shift I think I was focused on self and it, it took mm -hmm. some people around me to help me see that giving a presentation or leading a training your your job is to help others and to serve others and to multiply other leaders so they can go back to their school and multiply other leaders so very early in my career, I was fortunate to be surrounded by people who showed me the art of leadership, and it's so much more than just leading and having the title. That's for sure, and I know you're a great admirer of um, John Maxwell, John C. Maxwell. Yes. What about his work draws you to it? And uh, I, I know you've done some courses with him. You've brought your staff to the courses. Tell me about that. Very early on, I was at a garage sale very early <laughs> on, and I found a box of cassette tapes. So that shows how long ago this was. Yeah, really. It was in the neighborhood that I lived in. And I and I said, you know, I'm going to pay $10 for those, which is a lot of money for garage sale price. Yeah, it is. I paid $10, and I think I got two or three years worth of his tapes. <gasps> and I started listening to those tapes on the way to work and on the way home from work. And then I bought my first John Maxwell book. And since then, I think I've bought several John Maxwell books for other leaders 
and we have taken our team to some virtual simulcast and over the years i've been able to attend some live trainings with john maxwell but i just really believe in what he has to share and i believe in his message and i believe in adding value to others leading with questions multiplying leaders uh, i like when he talks about the law of the scoreboard and i like when he talks about the law of the lid so he just has so many relevant principles and applications mm -hmm. that apply to my life and that i can share with other principals assistant principals and aspiring teacher leaders so i really have been able to utilize what john maxwell shares in the field of education now what was that principle that the the, uh, the principle about the uh the lids what is that he has so many different laws but the law of the lid <laughs> comes from the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership uh -oh. and the law of the lid yes. says if i'm a level 10 then i can i can attract other leaders who are below a 10 but if my lid is at four then i can only attract leaders below a four so if we have a principal in our district that is struggling they're probably at a level three or four my job as a supervisor is to help that person get to a five or a six and over time maybe a seven so they can only hire and attract teachers and staff who are at their level or below so typically you want to hire a perfect 10 every time but you can only have so many perfect 10 leaders in a in an organization so if you can't find a 10 you're going for a nine and if you have a bunch of fives you're in trouble so you you don't need a bunch of level five leaders but the the level is based on your experience it's based on your willingness to grow and your willingness to take risks so when the pandemic hit in education a lot of us may have felt like we were at level seven but we immediately went to level three or four because yeah. none of us have ever prepared for a pandemic like this in graduate school so your lid can change but if you were already at a high level then that would have supported you more during a crisis well that's such an interesting challenge too because if you have uh you know level threes or fours or fives it's your honor and your privilege to bring them up to a level eight nine or ten and uh how did the five c's of acknowledgement for grateful leaders um come to represent something like because you told me you shared that article with a lot of the leaders the principals in your district so how, what resonated for you about the five c's or about the uh, the whole uh behavioral change model as we call it i am always looking for leadership tools to to help people grow so if people mm -hmm. are at a level level five your your resource and your article that you wrote in 2014 may help someone grow and as i came across that it resonated with me at the time that we're living in that the five C's of acknowledgement, what a better time than when people are down and morale is low and people are struggling to wonder, you know, what will schools look like in the future? Will we continue to have remote learning in so many different learning environments? And leaders are always looking for ways to support others. And what better way to support others than through acknowledgement? So having a simple mm -hmm. tool like the five C's of, of acknowledgement help me support principals who i hope can then go out and support their team wow and that, that's so amazing because um in 2012 i wrote a book 
called, as you know, You're Totally Awesome, The Power of Acknowledgement for Kids. And I would not have written that book, but the leaders I trained said, you need to write a book for our kids because we don't want them to discover the power of acknowledgement when they're in their 40s or 50s or 60s like we are. And that was not my normal kind of book. I think I think you have a copy of it now, right? You received that? I have grateful leadership, yes, if that's the one you oh, are referring that, to. That's not that's not for kids yet. <laughs> but uh, And I do have the one for kids as well. Yes, I thought I thought we had sent it to you and uh, they, you know, they really leader after leader after leader asked me to do that. And uh, you know, it was a lot of fun, but it was probably harder for me to write that book than it was to write Grateful Leadership. And I, I I drew all the stories in that book from kids themselves. They told me or actually wrote the stories. And you talk about being a coach. I mean, one of the stories is about a terrible coach who, who just killed the spirit of the team, killed it. And this person was on the team and, you know, she watched somebody finally step up and throw that coach out for the negative uh, you know, expressions and words and feelings he was bringing across to the team. So, yeah, I mean, how do you feel acknowledgement can be incorporated into the K through 12 uh, teachings, learnings, curriculum? That's a great question, Judy. And I think it's something that sometimes adults in education struggle with. Mm -hmm. uh, in education, the focus is on students. We're so grateful that the parents and the grandparents and the adults in our community entrust their most prized possession, their child mm -hmm. or their grandchild, yes. to us and trust that we can teach them reading, writing, speaking, leadership, prepare them for adult life. I mean, K through 12 is a long period of time for someone to entrust you with their own child. So we, we pour a lot of time into children and a lot of the training for, for adults is focused on how do you help the learner. So one thing that sometimes we struggle with as adults in education is showing acknowledgement to teachers, custodians, bus drivers, showing acknowledgement to my coworker across the hallway who also teaches seventh grade science because there's not a lot of adult interaction during the school day. You have class and then you have a three minute passing period and you're back with one adult in the classroom and all students. So regardless of if you're teaching six-year-olds or 18-year-olds, you're always around students. And then at the end of the day, we may have a faculty meeting. And at that time, we've had some recognitions, as you've called it. There's a difference between a recognition and acknowledgement. And we may give out a, an award or a team of the month or a teacher of the month. But a lot of that is, you know, at the end of the day when people are tired. So how can we actually acknowledge the work of the front office secretary? How can we acknowledge people and let them know how much they mean to the organization? So I'm not saying it's a weakness in every school, but it is a challenge and something that we can learn from your, your book because in schools, the focus sometimes is on the customer and the customer in schools is the child or the learner. Well, you'll love when, when you uh, read the first story in uh, the kids' book. It's called A Cupcake for Hector, and it's where this seven-year-old boy went to school one day, and he, he saw the janitor really polishing the windows, you know, very well. And, and he said to him, 
uh, and I'm just reading this from the uh, uh, the book itself. He, he said on, on the way to his class, Michael saw the janitor cleaning some of the classroom windows. He was working very hard at making the glass shine. And Michael just felt like saying hello to him and telling him what a good job he was doing. Hi, Mr. Hector. The children at his school called every adult Mr. or Miss or Mrs. Michael nearly shouted his greeting. I really like the way you are cleaning those windows. You make them sparkle. Hector smiled broadly and thanked Michael for saying such a nice thing to him. It makes me feel really good to know what you kids really actually appreciate what I do. He said, looking truly happy. And this had all kinds of ramifications because Michael's mother was in the school and knew Mr. Hector and she learned how happy this had made him and what he did with this acknowledgement. He, he took it home with him and shared it with his wife and his family. You know, we just never know what difference we're making with an acknowledgement, which is why that's, you know, that's the mission I have personally, just to, it's so simple. It takes nothing. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to buy a gift card or, you know, a plaque or this is just the day-to-day -day interactions we have with people. So, um, well, it sounds like, you know, it's so interesting because uh, you wrote me that email and um all within the very short time frame, I received requests from uh, a school in Australia to speak at a, um, a principal's conference, and I received uh, um, interest from a teacher who wanted to bring the power of acknowledgement. You know, they, they, she talked about the social skills that are so important now in education. And suddenly, there was this focus on K through 12 that I have never really been able to, um, you know, bring alive. And, and and I asked you in one of our other conversations, why do you think this is all happening at once? And you had some very good thoughts on that. What What is making, what is creating this interest? Partly the pandemic that everyone's going through. We realize when students come back to school, we'll need trauma-informed classrooms, we'll need recognition, We'll need to teach students resilience after a very challenging point in American and world history. But also social and emotional learning is not new. It's just more new for the general education teacher. I think early in my career, if you wanted to talk about social and emotional learning, you would have the guidance counselor come into an elementary classroom and teach a lesson for 45 minutes. Well, we all realize that teaching a 45 minute lesson once a month is not the same as daily modeling, social and emotional learning, or right. as you call it, acknowledgement and being a grateful leader. So what what is shifting right now in U.S. education is a shift from a hyper focus on academics and high stakes testing to modeling for our youth how how adults behave and interact with each other and how those skills that are lifelong skills are modeled, just like parents or uh, grandparents would model things for us when we were younger the adults in the building have an important role not just to teach but to model these skills so yes. rather than having a counselor teach it once a month there is a big shift and there's an there's an international organization known as castle and castle has a lot of resources online for teachers and educators regarding to social and emotional learning but a lot of the national conferences in education used to talk about academics only 
and now some of the keynote speakers and some of the main sessions at these conferences are focusing on social emotional learning and how do we have academics and SEL. It's no longer an either or, it's an and both. How do we integrate social emotional learning into a history or a math class rather than ha having it as an add-on once a month? Oh, I love that. And um, just out of curiosity, do you see yourself as a grateful leader? I, I sense you must be or would not be resonating this strongly with you. But what do you, what, what do you see about yourself and where would you like to develop? I certainly see myself as a person of gratitude and a grateful leader. It's something my mother and father instilled in me. Mm. It's something my grandparents instilled in me. And it's something that I've always aspired to be like other people who I see as grateful leaders. And so I've had the opportunity to work with some great associate superintendents and superintendents and teachers. And I've, I'm on a great team right now in Fayetteville Public Schools. I'm surrounded by other grateful leaders. So I think it's definitely who you surround yourself with, but mm -hmm. it's something I aspire to be. I don't know that you ever fully become a grateful leader. You could have an off week or an off month. So I'm constantly trying to recognize others through handwritten notes, through acknowledgement, through phone calls. And I quite often visit our classrooms just to see what's going on in the classrooms with teaching and learning. So I do, I do enjoy being a part of the classrooms and being where the teaching and learning is happening rather than at an office desk. That's so important. And, and I love that you're writing the personal notes and making the calls and going face to face with the people and letting them know what they're doing well. I mean, in that context of appreciation, people just want your you know, feedback on what they can do to be better. I mean, that it's just, it creates a, a context that's so uh, enlivening. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're doing for our future Grateful Leaders right now and what you're striving to do. And I just have to tell you a quick story. Uh, I, I, I promised you I would tell it right before the podcast started. Because I was going to tell it to you before, but it's, it's, it's too adorable to, to tell twice. So um, you talk about the effect of the pandemic on our K through 12 students. And I have uh, two wonderful, of course, I, you know, I have to say that they are just the most precious grandchildren in the whole world, um, ages five and nine, Lucius and Lilith. And um, I was taking a walk uh, before we spoke on the podcast. And um, as I was walking, I got a FaceTime outreach from five-year-old Lucius and uh, I, I, I answered of course and he said Nana which is what he calls me you need to talk to your daughter and I said excuse me what <laughs> <laughs> he said you're I'm teaching your daughter a lesson from my class and she is not paying attention <laughs> and I could hear my daughter cracking up on the sidelines and and I said well what was the lesson about he said I'll show you 
and he shows me this huge TV screen with all with minus one comma zero 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 comma zero and went on for millions, billions or trillions. I don't know. I don't know how to read numbers that big. And it filled up the TV screen. He said, this is the grade your daughter got because she was not paying attention to my lesson. And I, I mean, I was hysterical laughing, as was my daughter. But it, it turned out that my son-in-law, and I will just thank him for the brilliant idea, Sean, had realized that in the um, uh, you know the day-to-day remote learning that my grandchildren are going through, my grandson was lost. He was bored. <laughs> he was agitated. He was you know doing everything but paying attention. And my son-in-law figured out a way to connect the uh, classroom material live to the huge TV screen they have. And um, it was brilliant. And then so that was this huge TV screen was filled with all the zeros after the one comma and the negative that my daughter (laughs) earned as her grade. (laughs) And he's suddenly so engaged. So, you know. Thank you, Sean. I have to say, Sean Armstrong did a great job with that. And um, we have to be very creative. We have to be agile. We have to pivot and, you know, just find out what works for these children in these trying times, which are not going to be over anytime soon from what we can ascertain. How do you feel about that? It's very challenging for our children and our youth and for our families. One thing we've talked about in our school district is when schools fully reopen and we're able to have all the students back on campus, because right now it's about half the students remote learning and half of them are able to come to campus. In other states, it's 100% remote learning. Yeah. And yeah. we've decided that when we have students back on campus, it's going to be a focus on strengths, not on deficits. Now, clearly, we want to catch students up if they've fallen behind. But I think with any teaching and learning environment, if you're teaching somebody to swim, if they can swim half the length of the pool, then the next goal is to swim three-fourths of the length of the pool. You don't focus on the fact that they can't swim down and back. So we want to focus on students' strengths, and we know that each child comes to school full of awe and wonder and excitement. And we don't want to focus on the fact that maybe they missed a little bit of reading or they missed half a year in math. We want to focus on where they are and then just help them continue to grow. And that's what really lifelong learning is about. Even adults, we can never stop learning. So we want to take a learner where they are when they come back and just help them fall in love with learning and continue to grow rather than focusing on how much they missed. A lot of people have used the term COVID slide or learning loss, and that may be factual. We, We know that people have missed out on key learning during the last year and a half. But we also know that each learner that comes to our school will be full of excitement and wonder, just like we were when we were in our um, elementary years. And we feel like we can build off of their strengths because every learner brings unique strengths to each classroom. That's absolutely beautiful and very inspiring to me. And, uh, you know, I was so delighted that you came to our webinar in January uh, and we had a wonderful speaker, Lee Stevens who did a mindful, grateful leadership session. And you seem to feel right at home in a community of mainly corporate um, uh, people who 
uh, embrace this work, who embrace grateful leadership and the power of acknowledgement and want to do everything in their power to bring it into their organizations. So what, what did you find about that group that was um, so uh, yeah, intriguing or inspiring? Because I know you said you'll be back for more for the others. There was just so much talent in the room. There were people who were CEOs and people who were vice presidents of companies, people who started their own uh, entrepreneur, small startup companies, and they were all focused on one topic, and that's serving and helping others. And that's what we do in education. We serve and help children and families. And I really, from reading your book as well, Grateful Leadership, using the power of acknowledgement to engage all your people to achieve superior results, I really, in reading that during a lunch break this week, it's it's almost mindfulness just to read each chapter because you, you're reading and you're reflecting on your on yourself, but you're also reflecting on how you are serving others. And so, to be a part of a community of of leaders who are focused on that, I think will continue to help me grow as a leader. And it, it was just a community that I immediately felt a part of. Oh, that's so beautiful. I I've got my uh telltale goosebumps from what you just said. So uh, know that you have inspired me with what you just related. And uh, we're delighted to have you as a member of our (coughs) community. And what would you like our Grateful Leadership community to know about education and and their role in it? What's your message for all of us? Education is changing. It's not the same as when we were in school. Kids don't sit in straight rows and raise their hand and wait for the teacher to ask them a a question. It's more about critical thinking and it's more about collaboration, creativity and innovation. And -hmm. the jobs that we're preparing students for have completely changed from the 80s and 90s. So we don't always know which kind of career students will go into, but we have to give them the skills that will help them be successful, regardless of if they choose employment straight out of high school or go the college or military route. So our job is to help these learners because they totally depend on us. And if we can have more businesses and more organizations that partner with education and schools, that would be great. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes what I'm starting to see in education, it's unfortunate, but with with social media, I'm starting to see people criticize their child's teacher or criticize the school. And social media has become this place where people can become critics. Yeah. But we just all have to remember that these are children in our community. So if our state and our community can focus on helping children become the best they can be, our world will become better. But th- this is such a rewarding profession because we impact the future of our country and our world in our classrooms every day. But I would say let's not evaluate or critique our teachers or use social media to tear people down. Let's find ways to use grateful leadership and let's all partner, whether it's a church or a social organization, a civic group or a business. We can all partner to make it better. Whatever community you're in, whether it's in the U.S. or around the world, be a partner with education and let's all help children so we can help our world. That's so beautiful, and uh, my goosebumps continues. <laughs> I know you're speaking inspirational truth. And uh, Dr. Stephen M. Weber, um, Associate Superintendent for Teaching and Learning at the Fayetteville, Arkansas Public Schools, I want to thank you for being a phenomenal guest 
and for teaching me about the mission of education today and how it's differed from the past and moving toward for the future. Any last words you'd like to say? I just appreciate you having me on the podcast and I appreciate the book that you shared with me and I'm looking forward to being a part of this community. I'm I'm sad that you've been doing this work for 29 years and we finally connected. I feel like <laughs> I've got a lot to catch up, but this is this has been a fun conversation and I'm, I'm eager to learn more. Wonderful. And I, I'm so delighted to have you in our community. That's beautiful. And uh, please become an active member. And maybe uh, one day we'll have you lead uh, one of our bi-monthly webinars. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So in closing, I want to invite everyone, as I always do, to join the Center for Grateful Leadership by going to www.gratefulleadership.com. And uh, this is one of the lines a member of ours came up with. Admission is free but the experience is priceless. Thank you, Jim Trella. And I will personally welcome every new member when you do join. You can also reach out to me at any time by writing to judy.umlas, U-M-L-A-S, at IIL.com. And please remember to acknowledge someone or many someone. Until the next time, and I'm Judy Umlas.